Hey everyone, today on the podcast I am talking with Jeff Jervitz about Tiny Habits. Tiny Habits is actually a book by BJ Fogg and Jeff is a practitioner of Tiny Habits. Jeff is also the founder of Bang Fitness in Toronto, Canada and he is the host of the Dad Strength Podcast. Anyway, Jeff is full of passion about building tiny habits and what they can do for you and he's also got a great, great radio voice. You're going to love listening to Jeff talk about his experience with tiny habits and what they can do for you. Pull up a chair and buckle up. It's the original strength podcast. Appreciate yeah. you doing this. Yeah, no stoked to be on. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm such a huge uh, believer and proponent uh, of tiny habits. I'm, I'm really happy to share this stuff. I think it's really powerful. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm hoping because I know like I only know about the habits I create for myself. I don't know anything about tiny habits. So I'm just hoping you can educate me and, and the listeners on the power of time, what, what tiny habits are and, and the power behind them. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk through it. And I have a feeling if we look at what you do for yourself, and that's kind of that's how BJ started too, was just self-experimentation. I'll bet we find a bunch of stuff um, that matches that framework. And may, you know maybe that's a good place to start. Awesome. Yeah, let's do it. Well, let's, let's start. I, I think, it, I think it's interesting. Let's talk about some of the habits you create for yourself. Okay. Yeah, walk me through it. All right. So, uh, daily, uh, I have, you know, everybody has rituals. I think, um, my rituals are, I get up, I make a cup of coffee or some beverage of some type, and then I'll go sit, uh, for about an hour and read and, or after I read, then I'll breathe and meditate on whatever I just read. Um, okay. And then after that hour passes, I'll start uh, doing my morning movement routine where I'll roll around and rock around on the floor for about an hour. Um, and that may or may not morph into some type of strength training uh, somewhere in there. Um, hmm. And then if I do not have to teach classes that morning, I'll go for uh, I'll go run some sprints in the neighborhood. Uh, so every day starts out very, very similar to that. Yeah. And you know, what we find uh, when people are developing new habits, mornings are the best time to do it. It's the most stable part of your day. It is the least subject to chaos. And so it's a great entry point to try to build habits in late afternoon, evening is is a higher level of difficulty for sure. So I learned that with uh, having kids. Um, I Before I had children, I would work out in the afternoon, like, you know, around three or four. Uh, I could do that because of my job allowed me to. Um <clears throat> And but when I had children, that was no longer the case. And I learned that 5 a.m. was the only time of the day that nobody needed anything from me and it was safe. So I just I started working around that. Classic dad move. Yeah. yeah. For survival. <laughs> for survival. You just need that quiet time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you make coffee. So let's let's break this down. Uh, because if we're looking at how we we create a habit, um, we have an ABC formulation um we have your your ability right or 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 actually actually let me let me let me back this up let me back this up because we're going to do something we're going to look at prompt we're going to look at the behavior right okay um and then we're going to look at at what happens after that and, and typically we celebrate so when you make your coffee okay is it coffee uh, maker is it is it coffee maker yeah coffee, coffee maker mr coffee Mr. Coffee. Um, Throwback. Okay. So you, you pay homage to Mr. Coffee. Um, what do you, so you, 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 it's prepped, you do it, you like you turn it. So, so when we talk about a habit, like when we talk about something with automaticity, the idea is you might make a decision 
kind of leading up to it. I'm going to make the decision to make coffee. But what happens after that is pretty automatic. You don't have to think about, there's not a lot of conscious deliberation. You don't have to psych yourself up to like, you know, grind the coffee, put it in the filter or anything like that, right? No, they're, they're, I actually make no decisions. Um, everything's a done deal. Like, yeah. and there's, there's no negotiating. There's no, I don't feel like it. There's no anything, which makes it so easy for me. Like, I don't ever have a, I don't feel like doing this moment because it just, it, there's no conversation about it. Um, so the night before I go to bed, I program Mr. Coffee for the time I want to wake up or to have it ready 10 minutes before the time I want to wake up. So I don't even have to wait on. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's uh, everything's automated and in place. So in this, in this case, the prep you do and the habit you undertake actually takes place at a different time. It takes place the night before. The night before. Okay. And so you roll into the kitchen, right? Um, coffee's ready. Okay. So I think let's break it down step by step. Okay. Each action. Cause when we say, okay, I make coffee, right. Or, or an easier example, um, that's less varied is, you know, I brush my teeth. Um, Usually people will say, okay, well, that's, that's one thing, but we actually break it down into distinct actions. I'm going to take my toothbrush out of a cup, right? I'm going to rinse it. Uh, I'm going to apply toothpaste. I'm going to brush my teeth. You've got a little sequence that's more personal in there, but, it, you know, um, basically the same. We'll rinse it off. We'll replace it, right? So we have a whole sort of chain of behaviors. Um, and it's important to kind of note what these are because when people are not successful in designing a habit, it's because maybe they didn't factor in which piece. It's a little too vague. Um, and what we want to be is very, uh, very clear. BJ Fogg would say, you know, very crispy uh, about what we're doing. So um, coffee's ready. Is your mug on the counter? Where's your mug? Yep, it's on the counter. Everything's ready to go. So you're going to pour it. I just got I walk in. I just pour it to the cup. Okay. Then what happens? What's the very next action? I walk to the couch, sit down, uh, crisscross applesauce on top of the couch and start sipping my coffee. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there's your prompt is, okay, um, you walk in and something preceded that, right? Um, but you, you walked in the kitchen, saw the coffee, poured it, took the cup, and then you walk in the living room, take your position. So these are all distinct, uh, distinct actions. And then um, in your case... Um, now you mentioned you read, mm -hmm. where's the book? It's uh, on, on the, the stand beside the couch. So you're uh, like, you're a master of preloading everything. I, yes. Uh, yeah. So, which, which is beautiful. So let's just say, for example, you know, someone's listening and they're saying, okay, well, I, it's, it's a beautiful habit. Amazing morning habit. It's, it's a great way to start the day. I want to do the same thing. The only difference, right, is uh, books in another room. They've got their bookcase somewhere else. So it's not that it's not going to happen, but we've, we've introduced a, a, an additional level of complexity, right? And so now you have to design, um, after I get my mug, right? I fill my mug up, I'm going to walk and get the book and then I'm going to bring it over. So each, each layer of friction or each extra step can, um, and I, like if you have a will to do this, I'm not saying any of this is difficult. It just adds a little bit of extra complexity. And we want this to be as simple as possible. And what you've described is the difference between a habit and a routine. Because a habit hap happens automatically. There's no sort of conscious deliberation. A routine, you might think about, I'm doing this, then I'm doing this. And they can be very similar from uh, you know, the, the standpoint of an observer or uh, on the outside looking in watching your morning routine. 
it may be indistinguishable. The difference is the thing that happens automatically is way less likely to, to get derailed, right? Um, and in that sense, we want to make it as easy as possible. Every opportunity for decision adds a layer of complexity. Now let's, let's go and say, you do want to read, but you haven't decided what to read yet, right? Okay, now I've, I have to go to the bookcase, but I'm not just grabbing a thing. I have to I look through my options or I ask myself, what do I feel like or what do I have the attention span to do? We've, we've added another wrinkle. What if the coffee isn't made, right? So, so um, every time we add a, a, a tiny action, a little action somewhere in here, um, we have to acknowledge it makes these things a little tougher to do. Not impossible, not even necessarily difficult, but we want to strip this down and make it as, as simple as possible. So I, I always think it's so interesting to hear, um, you know, learn about people's routines and what works for them. So this is a great example. I tell you, you just blew my mind because when you said, what if I don't know what I want to read? All I could think of was how, how, how would I not know what I want to read like that? Because I've already got it. You know, you ask a talented athlete, how, how do you do that? And they're like, I don't know. You just, you just backflip, bro. I don't know. You just, you know, um, so people who are good at stuff are not always great at, at even explaining or, or coaching what happens because they do it so well and they do it so well automatically. So you have a whole sort of internal system there, but you've taken away the decision-making, which is probably why your mornings go so smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I and I've never really, really thought about it, but I, yeah, there are, there, I just don't have to decide anything like, or the decision was made so long ago that I've made an agreement somewhere with myself or something that that's just what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it's a great example. So let's, um, is there anything you're playing around with or experimenting with in terms of a new habit, something you want to incorporate? Well, see, that's the thing. I'm a creature of comfort, like, mm -hmm. and change is hard, right? So I actually like my, my morning. I don't know. You, you, you made a distinction between routine and habit, but whatever it is I do in the morning, I like it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not necessarily playing with, um, with anything new. I got you. Yeah. Uh, it, it ain't broke. You know, so, um, all right. Well, why don't I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my experience maybe with, yeah. uh, with, with tiny habits. So I've run a uh, personal training studio in Toronto for, it's going to be 15 years this summer, which is kind of hard to believe. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, it's been a, you know, a wild few years and I started getting interested in behavior change probably around 2010. And I would credit uh, the folks at Precision Nutrition um, for kind of, you know, pushing me in that direction. And they were really early on this stuff. And I think that when we talk about goal setting in general, the, the conversation's a little, a little bit broken. Like I have not found a lot of the traditional frameworks to work reliably. All this stuff works and, you know, pick your thing, smart goals, right? Or, or, or working on motivation or whatever it is. All this stuff has shown itself to work for a lot of people all over the place. But what it's never done, at least in my experience, is shown itself to work reliably for everybody, right? And that's a big issue. So what winds up happening is folks will read a book or watch a, a, a video, uh, you know, however they consume their media, and they'll, they'll get an idea. They'll get some kind of tactic in mind. They'll say, I'm going to try this. And the folks we hear about have kind of a survivorship bias. They're like, this worked for me. It was amazing. Changed my life. And we go, that's great. And then somebody else tries it. 
and often feels like a failure. Like what's, what's my problem because it's not working for me. And that's, that's because we have a random thing that we, we threw at the wall instead of a, a system. And, and there's nothing wrong with experimentation. Even in the best systems, we're going to do a ton of experimentation, but we just have to understand ahead of time that a lot of these things won't work. The difference is when something doesn't work in a system, we can troubleshoot it and we can figure out why. So that part's really important. So, you know, I got onto this idea that, well, let's begin to shrink the change. Maybe we don't have to completely overhaul a person's nutrition or their, uh, or their fitness regimen. Maybe we can do a smaller thing, right? Uh, you know, if you'd asked me in, in 2010, hey, Jeff, I'm eating Fruit Loops for breakfast. Is that a good cereal? Is that, is that a good breakfast? I would have said, oh, no, we've got to change everything. And I would have gone hard line and you would have gotten a whole, whole lecture about it. And now someone told me, you know, I eat Fruit Loops. Is that cool? Like, That's amazing. You're eating breakfast. This, I may not love Fruit Loops as, as a nutritionally dense you know, uh, uh, cereal, assuming we don't have any sort of, you know, allergies or food intolerances. Um, okay. What it can be is a nutrient delivery system. What if we had a protein to that? What if we had a chia seeds? What if we just changed it a little bit? Right. And it becomes, so we haven't created a miracle here, but it's not hard to add one of these things. And over time we might find that breakfast transforms altogether. And at some point the fruit loops come out and some other um, macro choice, you know, and I, I don't mean macro in terms of macronutrients, but just kind of a larger bl nutritional block goes in. And all of a sudden we've got this overhaul breakfast. So we might do this iteratively. And that has always felt pretty progressive to me. But even that, even these talks I found just through time and experience and, and, and talking with a lot of people about a lot of, you know, health, fitness, nutrition related things, I did not find these worked reliably. I began to just experiment with my own frameworks and figure out, you know, and notice through, through experience what was working. And I think I have some facility for this. You know, I, there, there's some things I get. I'm, I'm a very practical person. Like I'm, I'm an idealist, but that's tempered by being practical. It doesn't, ma it doesn't matter how great it is if it never leaves theory and, and enters our real lives, right? And so over time, I kind of figured some stuff out. And then... Um, Tiny Habits, the book, I'd heard of BJ Fogg and I'd, I'd heard about a, a bit about his, his work at Stanford, but I don't get too excited about any of this stuff, right? Um, self-help self -help often feels kind of like just Sisyphus pushing a boulder uphill, right? Like, when are we going to get there? Um, his book came out in 2020 and I read it like I read all the other habit books just to say, okay, I've got this. I'm not missing out on any part of the conversation. But I was like, Man, like everything I know to work, he has described beautifully. I, was, I would have been mad if I weren't so impressed because um, all the stuff that I'd figured out, he had figured out and clarified and captured in language. And then I saw all these, these other things that I hadn't covered in my own experience. I saw them articulated well. And this really changed everything for me. And so, you know, um, the mental shift that I went through was again, if we talk about shrinking the change, uh, generally one of two things happen. Either one, somebody listening will say, ah, I don't want to do a little thing. I want to do a big thing. Okay. 
So that's a whole other discussion. So we'll, we'll come back, we'll circle back to that if, if we have you know uh, time to get into it. Otherwise, you say, hey, we should do something smaller. And people go, yeah, yeah, I get it. And I would say the same thing, I get it, I get it. And what I realized was, I, you know, I started to sort of go through this um, thought experiment with myself and say, okay, what if I shrunk it down even further? Smaller than I think has utility. Smaller than I've ever gone before. Let me just kind of think about that. And I, and I, was, I felt myself going, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it. And at some point, I felt my brain reflexively go, nope, no, that's useless. There's no point in doing that. That doesn't have value. And my whole career, I've learned to pay attention to those reflexive um, reactions. Anytime my brain goes, no, we can't do it. It won't work. Um, I've learned that there's something there. And it means there's a place that I have to explore. In fact, probably a lot of my you know, peers and colleagues have felt that same thing. And if I can go deeper on it, um, there's probably going to be some magic. So, so that's what I did. And in doing that, um, I think the first habit that I really worked on was breathing. All kinds of mindfulness practices that come back to breathing. It's not a, it's not a shock. Now, like I said, this was the beginning of 2020. Guess what happened a few months later? Now, like the early days of COVID seem kind of hard to remember. It's all a little bit fuzzy now. But what I do remember is there was so much uncertainty before people had even figured out the mechanism of transmission. And what was happening was, you know, some folks were not leaving their houses at all. And I knew that I needed to get outside and walk. But one of the things that I noticed was every time I came back home after a walk, I live in a big city, I'm in Toronto, and, you know, um, and, and the streets were pretty empty, but I would see some people. And I noticed when I got back, I would have all this tension that I was holding in my chest. There was something emotional around the breathing and I, and, and I was controlling it and kind of nervous about breathing around other people, right? You know, we were still spraying down Amazon packages at that point. We didn't know. We didn't know what was happening, right? Did you have like stuff that you let cure in your pantry for two days? Um, <laughs> it was just easier to spray it with like Clorox spray or something. Yeah, we're like, okay, you know, and we just didn't know. And so, um, meanwhile, my business is closed down, right? We're, 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 Toronto is the, the most locked down city in the world, as far as I know, right? And, and so I had all this uncertainty on top of all this kind of fear and anxiety. And the first habit that I really worked on was after I noticed that I'm feeling anxious, I will take at least two deep breaths. Okay, so here's our, here's our formulation. Um, the, the prompt, and I always um, emphasize this. Now, the, this is not where I would typically recommend someone to start. Um, with tiny habits, we would choose something more concrete, like after I turn on my coffee maker, after I pour my coffee into a mug, this is very, this is a discrete, this is an action, right? Um, what, what I'm describing, you know, and, and BJ and his system breaks down three types of prompts. One is um, the, the thing that most people rely on, right, is a, is a notification. I'm going to set a reminder. I'm going to get my phone to ping me 
um, when I talk to people about who, you know, sometimes people reach out and talk about like, they want to develop an app around behavior change. And they always, you know, almost always they're like, people are going to need a lot of notifications. They're going to need a lot of reminders. And generally my response is, no, they don't. We don't want, we think you think you want that, but you don't want that. And because very quickly, these things become white noise. We, we learn to ignore these really quickly. So BJ usually teaches in this system um, an action prompt. So this, after I do this thing, okay, after I flush the toilet, after I wash my hands, after I turn on the coffee maker, right, after I lock my door, these are all really clear actions. And after you do this thing, now we have the opportunity to insert a behavior. Now, what we choose you know, really depends. Like there, there are ways that we can up our chances of success. But the other type of prompt we can use is, is a person prompt, is something that happens inside of you. And so that could be a sensation, like after I notice that I'm hungry or after I notice that I'm tired, after I notice that I'm feeling anxious. And I always, I always preface this or I, or I always clarify, I think it's really important to put in that after I notice, because these things can happen all the time. What we're trying to do is design something that you can be utterly successful with, almost, almost at 100%. Okay. And so to do that, we have to choose a kind of language that allows us to do that. So if I haven't noticed, if I've been so busy, um, I don't know, I've just been in a massive negotiation, who knows, I'm not really thinking maybe about my body. But when I return to it and I notice, okay, now I notice I'm feeling hungry. So that's really important. So for me, after I notice that I'm feeling anxious, I will take at least two mindful breaths. This is a very tiny action, right? Um, I would call it a meta habit in the sense of you can put it anywhere. Most of this stuff is pretty context dependent. If you say, you know, after I put down my book, right? And, and maybe we'll get into, into the specifics. I'm, I'm going to, I'll get on the floor and I'll start moving around. That works, but it doesn't work universal. You wouldn't do it maybe, I don't know, on a subway. You wouldn't do it. There's some places like you just would not. Um, so you need um, a, a, a specific location, but you can always breathe. And I think that's why it was so useful to me. And I, I continue to do that. Um, and this allowed me to help regulate my nervous system, which was, you know, like a ping pong machine at the time. And it was really transformative. If you can buy yourself just a little bit more calm, or you can, or you can reduce the, the length of time it takes, the refractory period to come back too calm. Like just imagine however angry or upset you get in, you know, over the course of, of a typical year. Um, these things will happen. You'll have emotions rise periodically. And if all you did was shorten the time it takes you to come back to baseline, to come back to calm, I say 10%. Could that be transformative? And I, I would say, yeah. I would say sometimes it, it'll be a whatever thing. It won't make that much of a difference, but there are going to be critical moments where that difference, that, that return to calm before you come in the door and see your family, before you have a, a potentially important conversation, before you, you know, put something out into the world, um, before you create a, a, a piece of, of content, Right? There's a difference between going through the motions and then really being able to think, at, you know, be at your most creative and your most authentic. If all we do is sort of 
increase your, your chances. There's no guarantee. I always think of it in terms of statistics, right? If all we do is increase your chances of, of this happening, um, I think some really wonderful things can happen in your life. So that was where, where I started. And, you know, as I began to really dig into it, and then um, I wound up uh, doing the coaching certification that year. It was like what I did on my COVID vacation. I wasn't going into work. So I really, you know, threw my whole self into it and really tried to internalize all this, all this work. And um, I would say philosophically, you know, what's really interesting about the system is we, we so often try to motivate ourselves to do something we don't really want to do. We choose a really hard thing, right? And there's this sort of relationship between uh, willpower and the difficulty of a task. The harder something is, the more motivation we need to do it. I don't think that's a controversial statement, right? And so normally what people do, and I see this all the time in the world of health and fitness, is they try to ramp up their motivation to do a really hard thing. But the other option, or one of the other options, is to make it easier, right? Is to move the goalposts. And I think this is useful um, in the sense of building confidence. Because what if you gave yourself the opportunity to calibrate? Because um, what is confidence, really? Actually, let, me, let me ask you that. I'm just kind of curious to hear your perspective. If I ask you to define confidence how would you describe it it's like a i would call it almost like courage in yourself like knowing yeah. that you're capable or able to do whatever or whatever needs to be done in the situation that you're in i mean because you can be and you can also be confident in one area but not confident in another so it's yeah. probably it's probably very specific to the area or the arena but i i, I would say it's just having the courage or the the i can to do something yeah i think courage is a good is a good descriptor and i think there's there's real confidence there's like an authentic confidence where you're accurately assessing that and then there's bravado right um where you you're like i could do that you know it's like um there's a famous statistic and i don't remember exactly but something like 80 percent of people think they're better than average drivers right it's like <laughs> the numbers don't work guys um, guy, you ask most guys, Hey, how would you do in a street fight? Oh, I'd, I'd crush it. Devastated. Well, you've never done any martial arts training in your life. Oh, I, you don't know. You know, you don't know my mindset, bro. Um, <laughs> like right. That, so man. that's, 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 brava that's bravado. That's bravado. Um, confidence would come from having tested this stuff out repeatedly. And, and I would, I would argue being able to really accurately predict to be able to say this this is an unknown. I'm going to, I would give it like a two out of 10 chance because I just don't know. Right. But this, this piece here, I have shown eight times out of 10 or nine times out of 10, I do great. And even if it fails, you go, that was the one in 10. I don't take that personally because I know, you know, or, or if you go, Hey, 95%, um, if you're getting a 95% grade on any kind of performance, that's typically that's an A, that's, that's an A plus probably, that's, it's fantastic. You also recognize that one times out of 20, you're going you're gonna to drop the ball. And so you don't, you don't onboard that, you don't internalize it. You just go, yeah, that was, that was the time. And then if you see this popping up more often, you recalibrate your estimation. 
you go, oh, actually, this seems more like a seven out of 10 situation. But I, to me, that's real confidence. You're really able to accurately assess. And then what if instead of constantly trying to do harder things, we set ourselves up for versions of behavior and versions of action that we can utterly deliver on, that we're successful basically every time? That, to me, that is, real, that is real confidence. And so this becomes a practice of, of recalibrating and designing action in accordance with, with your abilities. So one way to do that is to make things easier. Um, and another way is to increase your ability, right? And so when there is a, uh, a motivation wave, right? So, so motivation goes surging up. Uh, somebody says, all right, I'm super motivated. You know, I haven't been exercising. I haven't been taking great care of my, my physical health. And I am in this moment, super motivated. And that could be for all kinds of reasons. I got some questionable blood work back and my doctor says, you know, I have to do this, or I'm just like, I'm, I'm tired of waiting. You have this, this surge of motivation. And I would argue, um, maybe the, the best use of that, that, that motivation wave is not to go just do an one epic workout because motivation is not, um, a forever thing. It is ephemeral and we can't really control it. Um, and we, we don't set ourselves up for success when we do try to control it. And that's what I see all the time. And that's probably my major criticism when I watch how people doing it. So if you've ever, you know, if you're listening and you've, you've done this before and in a moment of peak motivation, you've set yourself up to do something really hard and then motivation has waned and, it, and it's fallen away. You know, it's like, it's, it's not your fault. You, you, you just didn't pick the right framework. Um, so rather than do this, this epic workout one time, when there's a, a wave of motivation, a better investment of is in upskilling, in, in saying, how do I improve my ability to do this? And so that might be, take that moment to uh, invest in a commitment. Uh, I'm, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. I'm going to sign up for this thing. I have to be at this class every week. I might invest in a, in a trainer or a coach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my money down and I'm going to front load this. So I'm going to increase my ability so that when I walk into a gym, you know, three months from now, I'm going to know exactly what to do right? I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, just, just like your mornings, Tim, right? Somebody else can walk and go, I don't even have to think about it. I'm, I have a routine. I have, I know exactly what to do. I walk over to the dumbbell rack and I go, cause I've broken this down piece by piece, right? So we get rid of all that decision-making and uncertainty and ambiguity. And we choose versions of action that we can be successful with. So that's, that's a better application of, of high motivation. Again, knowing that it won't last forever. Yeah. So your three points of um, your three prompts, you had action prompt, person prompt, and what was the third one? A context prompt. Context prompt. Okay. Yeah. So that would so, be, yeah, calendar notification, for example. Okay. Yeah. So for the person prompt, because that seemed like, like that's what you used. Mm -hmm. And that seemed like, I don't know how to say this, but you really have to have a lot of self-awareness. <laughs> for uh, for a person you know to like you 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 have to be able to notice things and i know you, you use the the word notice yeah but i don't i that one i was like wow that one seems like that could be the heavy lifter because you that know is, sometimes you can have a lot of tension in your chest and that's mm -hmm. something you call normal and you don't notice it <laughs> so yeah yeah noticing is is a process so um you know when 
if, if you're if you're learning the tiny habits method, that is typically regarded as a more advanced practice for that for that reason. That being said, there there is stuff within your ability to notice right away. And and I what I think is powerful is if you have, for example, anxiety. To me, in a lot of ways, anxiety is um, a desire for action. It is motivation. You want to take action. You're called to it. In fact, you have a bit of a stress response. The problem is you don't have a way to apply it in that moment. So if we can find a habit construction that allows you to harness that, I think that's really powerful and it's, it's liberating, right? It, it, it gives you this, it's, it's like, um, it's like hooking the, the, all this up to a battery. It's charged. It's ready to go. We just need a version of action that, that connects to it. And we have to look at the moment. We have to look at the context and environment. Where am I in? How might I use it? You have to look at it in the context of your existing abilities. Um, and so one place to go is, well, I would do this, but I don't know how. Or, you know, maybe um, I, would, I would engage in this mindfulness practice, but I don't know what to do. Okay, well, this is a great place to go and, and find an expert in this and bring them in so that you can connect the dots in these two really important things. And that's part of the yeah. upscaling part, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I think that's, it's really powerful um and and really useful however when you're starting if you're starting to play around with these things um i think the trick is to pick something that doesn't that isn't important to you personally we always we want to come in and fix really big things but what happens when we start a new skill you're not that good at it that's okay that's that's the process so rather than than pick something that has a lot of weight that is inherently not tiny if it's got a lot of emotional weight or really like importance, or I've struggled with eating for 30 years. So now the first thing I'm going to do is no, no, that's heavy. That's the opposite of tiny. So pick something kind of whimsical, pick something silly or unimportant. And you're going to look for where does my prompt exist, right? Do I have a version of action that matches that prompt in the moment with the right timing, right? Uh, within my ability levels. And I'll also mention, at a frequency that makes sense. Is this something that I would practice three times a day? Um, but I only, the prompt only pops up one time a day. Is this something I would practice three times a day, but the prompt pops up 10 times a day. So there's a little bit of matching there. Right. Um, and then the other piece that I haven't mentioned, which I, I think is actually the hardest part, um, intellectually to get behind is a celebration piece. And I, I say that as a guy who really, um, for most of his life struggles to take a, a compliment, um, for, for the, you know, the stoic folks out there, um, it's, it's kind of a, a, a tough sell to go, okay, after I do this thing, I'm going to celebrate, but it doesn't have to be, some people will, will, you know, I don't know, high five someone or pump their fist or sing a song. And if that's your style and that feels, you know, authentic and, and, and personal by all means, um, I learned to smile or I learned to affirm to myself, Hey, this is, this is a vote for the direction that I want to live in my life. This is just, I'm just doing this because it's personally meaningful. Like for me, that's enough. I'm not doing any big things. Um, but it is so important because a lot of this is rooted in, I'm, I mean, we, we could go back to um, sort of classical conditioning and just say, hey, I'm, I'm self-reinforcing. When we create positive emotion around this thing, it's like a little treasure trail, right? We're not going to I don't know. I just, I don't think you white knuckle your way into happiness. It's not, I don't think you just, you do stuff that sucks and sucks and sucks. And then one day, bam, oh, I'm super happy with, with the destination I arrived at. I think the, typically the, not. 
<laughs> yeah, not my experience, right? So we, so the path has to feel like the destination. And so if we find ways to indicate that we're on the right track, um, that can be really powerful. So we, we celebrate just to affirm, hey, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this thing that I set out to do or that is personally meaningful or I'm successful with this. And I have to, I have to update some of my uh, frameworks and I have to update some of my beliefs because it turns out I've, I've repeatedly proved myself able to do this thing that I didn't used to be able to do or at least believe myself able to do. So I, I think that's all really important. And, and that, that identity shift is one of the foundational pieces of, of behavior change, right? Yeah. So you get really granular or tiny mm -hmm. to, to start the habits out. And, and you said, maybe you don't go for something that's really important or that there's a lot of emotional weight attached to it. Right. So you develop your, your habit skills on something smaller, that's silly or unimportant yeah. first. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing once you graduate from doing it on the smaller stuff, you move to the, to tackle the more important weightier stuff. So can you, can you speak to how, how important would patience be in, in developing the tiny habits and, and, and building them strong enough to, to be able to flow with them with momentum? I think I don't, you know, the word patience doesn't come to mind so much as, as curiosity or even playfulness. Try a cool. bunch of stuff, right? Just experiment. Know that a bunch of these things won't work and that's okay. And you will be actually surprised. The things that totally make sense in your head may not work at all. And the things that seem like bizarre uh, Hail Marys, right? Turns out will work great. And, and you never know. And, and only by finding things that are successful and work for you reliably are you able to then start reverse engineering. Um, so it's, it's really tough to predict. And, and, and so I would say, you know, come in with, with kind of an attitude of lightness and, and playfulness and experimentation um, and just try things out. And, and the other thing is um, that might not be intuitive is after you find a, a version of action that is really easy that you can do every time, you never move the, the goalposts. You don't raise the bar. That's people kind of assume. Uh, so, I, I, you know, as an example, let's say you, um, after you, after you, you know, pour your coffee, somebody might say, I'm just trying to get a little more movement in my life. So um, after I, after I fill my mug with coffee, I will do at least two air squats, just as an example, right? Um, so let's say you do that and it, it's easy. It's not, it's not a big sell. It doesn't take, even if you're late, even if the whole house is in chaos and kids are late for school and there's a big work, you can still do two squats. So this is a version of action that is, is bulletproof. It can, can be successful in any kind of context. Now, if you have the time and the motivation, if you feel like doing more, you can do more. And usually we, we just start with stuff that we really want to do. That's the thing, right? We start with something we really want to do and we start with something that we can be successful with. And if you feel like doing more, you feel like doing more, but you don't bump up the number. You don't go after I, you know, get my coffee, I'm going to do 30 squats. You always do two. And then anything else is bonus. And you can celebrate that if you, if you do wind up doing more. And in that place, um, you're always successful with it. And that's really, that's really important because we just start. If you find something that is important to you, that has a personal value, um, all you have to do is put yourself in position and you will find you want to. If, if there's a day that for whatever reason, I don't feel like working out, all I have to do is go pick up a thing. I'll start playing around with it. I'll start, you know, I'll start moving it. 
And, and, and so that kind of thing happens. There's, there's another version um, that I'll mention, um, you know, b- before we, we wrap up here, and that is a starter step. And a starter step would be, so uh, like for your, let's say you had all your morning routines, but you, you're not yet reading. You wanted to start reading a book. A tiny, a tiny version of action would be, I'm going to open my book and I'm going to read at least two sentences. I'll celebrate that. And if I feel like reading more, I'll read more. If it is a book that is compelling to you, and is interesting, right? You'll keep going. And I would say if you're, if you're never going beyond that, maybe, maybe you didn't pick the right book. But there's another way to do it, which is um, to just open the book. That's your starter step. Um, if I want to drink more water, I'm just going to fill the glass with water. That's it. That's all you have to do. Because your brain will connect the dots. It will, it will, you know, it will connect you from point A to point B because there is a, there's an underlying motivation there. You don't have to whip up. Rather than looking for ways to motivate yourself, what you're instead going to do is pay attention to your intrinsic motivation, what is lying inside of you and doesn't need any whipping up. It just exists at a low level. That's, that's your most important stuff. And that will help you connect those dots. So um, a lot of times what you're successful with will actually be evidence of, of what your real motivations are right? or, or maybe any, what your abilities are. Yeah. Do you have any, um, cause you, you seem to be very good with statistics, uh, <laughs> like timeframes for like, and I guess it's probably person specific uh, or situation specific, but like how long, and this is probably always the question you hear, how long does it take? to for habits to stick or to develop a habit or for them to take roots where you go on automatic pilot whatever this is it's i'm glad you asked you know a lot of people will will quote there are a couple different statistics floating out there um and i still hear three weeks all the time the truth is if you get it right could be two or three days can be really fast positive emotion is incredible and if you think about some of the things you you do automatically. Uh, so here, here's an example. Um, you know, a friend's dog <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, uh, somebody, oh, a fire truck going by, uh, a friend's dog a couple of weeks ago, uh, found a discarded piece of pizza under a bush, right? What do you think happens every time they pass that bush? Dog's like, is there surprise pizza here today? It only had to happen once. Right. So if you find something that has real value and, and brings you some joy, um, it, it can be surprising how quickly you assimilate it. Um, and, and, and so a lot, of, a lot of times these things don't take long at all. So some of it's like, and I'm just guessing, like the positive weight of the emotion accompanied with the action uh, kind of etches it a little bit better, deeper into your nervous system. Yeah. And I, I would say from personal experience, and there's, there is some evidence on this to back this up. Um, what is even faster than introducing a positive emotion is when you introduce a form of action that takes away discomfort or pain. So if you choose, and, and that's why I describe this as liberating, because if you, if you have an anxiety, anxiety or there, there's something you're not taking action on that's weighing on you, and you find like even a tiny version of action, forget about what the outcomes are and just think about it as an expression of what is important to you. The act of doing it is, is a relief and, and, you know, takes away that discomfort. And that's the, that's the stuff that tends to stick, right? Anybody. Oh, that makes a lot uh, of know, sense. 
right? We work with people all the time. And I know you've seen it too. Somebody comes in and they've got like a strange sort of compensation the way they move. And we go, what, what's going on? And it turns out like four years ago, they injured themselves and they started compensating. They started moving in a different way to accommodate that injury, which is probably exactly the right thing to do at the time, right? Because it relieved the, the pain. It helped them work around. And the funny thing is this thing is stuck long at years after the injury is actually healed. And now we have to repattern, right? So these things happen fast. That's awesome. So for yourself, if you don't mind, um, where did the two breaths take you? Where does it take me? That's interesting. Um, it takes me home. It like you me started right, that. Right into my body. Yeah. Um, what, no, what but I, like we're, we're, yeah, oh. so now, so you started that in 2020. Yeah. Like what uh, the rewards and the lessons and the experiences you've reaped since you implemented that, like where did it take you? What did it, like, because that was the beginning and you're you're well on your way, like thriving past that. Yeah. Um, I, I think it really, like I said, it shortened those refractory periods and allowed me to um, return to a calm state faster. And that that has really um, increased my amount of time uh, creatively, intellectually. But um, as somebody who has their whole life sucked at me, I've been trying to meditate since I was like a teenager and I was never able to sit down and do that. But there's an integrity of practice too. You did a small thing, but you did it really well. You're just there for one breath or two breaths, right? That's it. That's the thing you can do. And even with a short attention span, you can be there. And sitting down for 20 minutes now in the morning is just one breath over and over again. And, and, and so I think that's one way. I hadn't thought about it uh, until you asked me, but I think that's one way um, it's scaled, but it was never out of that intention. Um, and so it was like a phase shift in the sense of I didn't go, oh, sit for one minute, sit for two minutes and, and, and gently drop my practice. I maintained an integrity practice in a very small way um, until it just scaled seamlessly. And is, is, if you don't mind, is two breaths still your, your, your action prompt if you feel uneasy? Um, I, don't, I don't count it anymore. But I just, I come down and really focus on one breath. And if I notice that I'm distracted, I repeat. And so sometimes it's one breath, sometimes it's 10. Um, and until I come back to, um, you know, and, and, and speaking as a guy with ADHD, we're, we're attention, control of attention. It's not, we've got lots of attention, quiet as it's kept. It's just all over the place. So um, coming back to the main focus. And if I notice I'm drifting, I go to breath first. And then I go, go back. So sometimes there's a dance, but it takes away all the middle stuff, all, all the distracted thoughts. So that's how it's worked for me. Yeah. That's really cool. For people at home, um, is there like, what's the, because I know you have all kinds of stories. What is like a huge, like an amazing, impressive story that somebody used tiny habits with that just like changed everything or just helped them get out of a, out of a spot? There are good, some, there's some great stories in the Tiny Habits book. Uh, there's, there's one really lovely one about a guy just um, who's struggling a bit with his teenage son and, 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 and they're butting heads. And he was just, and it's a coffee story. He was just trying to get him to, um, you know, after, after he made espresso on his fancy machine, just clean it up. And he was yelling at him. There was a lot of friction. 
and one day just asked him, could you just, just take the thing out um, and just leave it on the counter? You don't even have to clean it. Just put it on the counter. And the son was like, what? it's all messy. It's like, no, no, that, that would be great. And, and he did it. And, and the dad celebrated that and he thanked him. And I think, I think that helped the, the, the son feel successful. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help ourselves feel successful and we're trying to help the people we work with feel successful, right? And give them, give them a chance. Don't keep raising the bar, just give them a chance. And um, soon enough, the kid just started cleaning the whole operation unprompted, right? But let's just really own that first step, right? Um, so I think, you know, these, these are kind of gentler, more subtle things. And I, I, I don't even like to draw attention to more dramatic out, outcomes because, you know, I'm fond of saying it's, it's incremental until it's exponential. You just do a little thing. You do a little thing. And someday, and that might go, persist for years. And in my case, that, there we have an example. It literally persisted for years. And then one day there's a phase shift and really wonderful things happen. So the book is Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg. And Jeff, you are in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, if, if people want to learn from you or, or is it possible that people can work with you long distance to, to improve their habits or to build habits? Absolutely. How can they, how can they do that? Uh, jump on to dadstrength.com. Yeah, that's that my thing. That will be in the uh, notes of the show. Yeah. Which, by the way, is beautiful, Dad's strength. Um, and one last uh, question for you. Do you like peanut butter? I love peanut butter. Well, that leads to another question. Um, creamy or crunchy? I'm a crunchy man. Yeah, great question. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I, I love both, and I am partial to what mood I'm in. <laughs> so it just, sure. it just depends on what I'm doing with it. So there is a decision uh, sometimes in your life. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, it's, 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 it's the structure stuff that I don't, I, the rest of the day, I'm trying to decide stuff all day long. Um, but all right. So what brands do you like? Oh gosh. Um, there's, I, I like whatever is just peanuts, right? Um, okay. there are all kinds of things, you know, somebody will, it, it's this huge tragedy of, of ultra processed foods where somebody will take peanut oil out and replace it with like hydrogenated palm oil or something breaks my heart. Um, so anything that's just, that has one ingredient is a, uh, is a friend to me. Yeah. Right on. I like, I like two ingredients. I, I, I like to have salt in my, oh, you like salt in it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I do like salt. <laughs> Jeff, this has been a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate your time and, and your wisdom and sharing with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening, everyone. Now get outside and play.